Peter, the last uh, report that he looked at on sermon audio uh, was viewed in the top numbers, let's put it that way, appreciate that, get some other listings here soon. Our third installment of Christology, uh, and you know, it, it's kind of slow while we were doing the last several times, oh yeah, I see why, okay, yeah, but I see why, and for the next probably two times, we see why as well, uh, just the way that it's, it is in its outline, because he's taken the time to answer some of these objections or some of these arguments about uh, Christ's birth and the virgin birth and, and things along those lines, and then... Um, he answers the arguments, gives us some uh, ability to, uh, what's the word? Uh, I can't, I'll get the word out. Uh, not that we're to argue, but we are to defend. And, you know, and we can point people to uh, the scriptures and use the scriptures um, and have an answer for men. The Bible uh explicitly tells us to do that, but then he also directs us to, to look to him for an answer, uh, and that he will give us answers and give us wisdom if we look to him uh, when we are confronted with maybe some of these objections or some of these uh, arguments against. I prayed for, when I got to Brother Cooley tonight, praying for him, I prayed for that atheistic bunch up there in that town where he's planning on going. God would save the the president, and uh, and give them as much of a mouth for Christ as they probably have against Christ right now. And um, anyway, all right. So getting right back into this, and uh, looking at my highlighted sections. So I think we got all the way through the the object, all all the objections, and uh, uh, here about uh, his birth and things. I'm going to back it up to here. I think we might have said it here. Let's see. All right, we'll just start here. All right, so that last objection was um, the virgin birth, a suggestion from pagan myths of incarnate, incarnate God was adopted by the disciples to magnify Jesus. So, and then we read the answer to that. All right, further arguments uh, are here inserted supporting the virgin birth of Jesus Christ based upon statements in The Virgin Son by John Champion. Uh, the inspiration of the scriptures is at stake if they lose out in this vital matter of setting forth the nature and person of Christ. And again, it's important that we, we understand where to go in the scriptures, but we kind of understand the, how the, uh, it solidifies our doctrine and helps us to stand like Brother Durham preached. Uh, you know, he, he preached out of Ephesians 5, and he mentioned the Word. And he mentioned the Word being an offensive weapon. It's both it's offensive and defensive. Uh, it can be used both ways. It can defend when we're attacked, and it can attack back. And it can, you know, you give somebody the Word, it can prick them in their hearts. And, um, and so it's, it's important to understand where we stand uh, for these, these reasons. Just like... Uh, in Time Magazine, I've got a copy of the article. I'm sure that it's still available in, in the 
World Wide Web and the Information Superhighway and all that good stuff. But um, I've got the copy in some of my papers. I got a lot of papers. Anyway, um, of, of the Art Time Magazine article of Billy Graham, who said that he believed in the virgin birth of Christ, but it was not pertinent to salvation. Yes, it is pertinent to salvation. And that's where we're kind of at right now. It's interesting that we're on the virgin birth in Easter Sunday right out here. But anyway, uh, is this coming? But uh, the inspiration of the scriptures is at stake if they lose out in this vital matter setting forth the nature and person of Christ. In short, it is not the loss of the doctrine of the virgin birth which is at stake but the loss of all doctrines based on the revelation of Holy Writ. The issue here is the reliability of the revelation of the Word of God. It is well that... The authority of the scriptures has been established for centuries. Religion can no more do without authority than can the state. We cannot reject the Holy Scripture's authoritative revelation of the infinitely important matter of, uh, of who Jesus Christ is, how he came, the nature of his person and place, without understanding faith in the reliability of the scriptures on our personal relation or our, on our personal relation to God. If inspiration had not, been, uh, had not sufficient influence or control to prevent Matthew and Luke from relating untruth as truth in such an important and vital matter, it loses the very element that makes inspiration inspiration. Let me just stop right there. So, again, going back to the reason we dealt with bibliology first, <laughs> because understanding and knowing and having... Confidence, that's a good word. That's the word I'm looking for. Having confidence in the, in the word of God. And how that, again, these objections. Oh, Matthew and Luke, they don't match up when they're genealogies. We're getting ready to get into that in a little bit more detail. But, you know, people that will cast doubt on the scriptures. And that's why this type of study is, is so important. So that we can stand and we can give them an answer to their objections so on and so forth. So, Because if, if it breaks down in one area of the scriptures, then all the scriptures would be void, basically. Which is the argument... I know, I'm on tape. Which is the argument that one missionary that we know in Peru and another missionary had in our fellowship hall... <laughs> you know, and the one missionary in Peru saying that if he introduced a new and better translation, maybe what they've got is not the best, but it's what they've got in their language. And for him to go in and interject, I mean, he can correct what he knows to correct along the way, what's not maybe translated exactly good in that language. But for him to go in and say, you know, Everything that you've learned in the past out of this scripture that I have told you for 40 years of scripture and God's word, all of a sudden I'm telling you it's not God's word. Here's God's word. See the breakdown? It, it would just decimate a whole lot of, especially the weaker brethren and the weaker believers and the younger Christians for that. So confidence in the scriptures is a big, big thing. Where the other one, and I, I, I listened to both sides of the argument. I was sitting there while they was debating. 
you wanted to put it that way. But on the other side of it, you know, we can put our faith in, and we gave you why when we was in the first chapter of, you know, of this book here, but of bibliology, and we could go into an even further uh, uh, depth of study about the King James Bible compared, you know, and it was purified seven times. And if you look back in each of the time that a translator wanted to um, translate it into English, you know, the first one wasn't as good as it could have been. The next one, they, they took it and built upon it and took the Greek and the Hebrew and, and translated, and it was better. And each time it got better, when, when the King James Bible, the seventh time that it was translated into English, you know, they had a whole multitude of scholars. And the way that they would compare and compare and compare. And it was interesting that even when they picked up the pen and wrote any word that was translated God or Jehovah or anything, they would, they would get a brand spanking new pen. They could be writing whole sentences and they get over to the word God. They'd pick up a brand spanking new pen and write God and then they would get rid of that pen. They, they took that much care in the translation work of it. But then, you know, and I know there's a whole lot of preachers and they'll come on across this pulpit and they'll say, we got the King James 1611. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. I can show you a page out of a King James 1611. And the, the way that the Old English did some of their letters is not the way that we currently do our letters. Everything is the same as far as the words go. It's just in 17, whatever the version is that we use, is they standardized the spellings and how to spell the words. And so that's the version that we use. But of the King James, any other version post-King James... Like was mentioned, they take, they take the blood out. Most of the time, they take it right out of, of 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, of Colossians 1.14. That's, the, that's the, the scripture that I turn to first. There may be some that, that still have it in there, but the majority of them don't. Um, and you cannot have redemption without the blood of Jesus Christ. So, again, one of those big, long sentences, it starts in verse 9, but it gets over here. Uh, verse number 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's talking about God, the Father in verse number 12 who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, which is who we're talking about. That's it in verse 13, who we're talking about here in verse number 14. The Son in whom, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. They'll take that out. They'll take the blood out of verse 14. 
There's not redemption unless you have the blood. That's the only thing that will satisfy the Father. And a lot of those perversions take the blood out of the Bible. So anyway, I have confidence in the King James Bible. And you have to have confidence. Well, and then also, I was about to say, on the other fella that's doing the translation work, he had, you know, the good argument that what they currently have. And, and that's what I asked. I said, so if there's believers in that particular country, what have they been saved from? What word have they been, have, has been given? And was man abil- had the ability to to get around some of the words that's kind of translated improperly before now. And then there's still the work of the Holy Spirit in, in salvation, and there's the key. You know, the gospel message. And so, and the Holy Spirit uh, doing his part in salvation. And uh, so anyway, so, but it is very, very important that we... Uh, have uh, confidence in the Word of God. All right, let me back up here. So uh, let's see here. Okay, I'll just read this again. It would mean that faith in the reliability of the Bible on vital matters is shattered and the battle of naturalism is won. Our Lord said, quote, the Scriptures cannot be broken, unquote. Archaeologists say that few ancient writings approach the Bible in reliability. And they, of course, refer to matters which have little or nothing to do with the reliability of the Bible as an authority on God's relation to man and man's, uh, man's to God. The New Testament is not less inspired than the Old. This even enemies must assent to. Then the New Testament cannot be broken without smashing the stronghold of Christ's authority, which is really like himself, the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. All right, so, so the, argue, uh, the reliability of the scriptures. The argument from congruity offers support to faith in these narratives. So congruity, here's the, the argument of, from congruity. The supernatural conception is congruous with the birth of a supernatural person. Jesus Christ is the unique manifestation of the supernatural in the realm of the natural. The miracle of the virgin birth is in keeping with the miraculous nature of his person. Only supernatural means of incarnation seem sufficient for the entrance of a divine, preexistent person, as Moffat translates um, Luke's account, How can this be? said Mary to the angel. I have no husband. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the Most High shall overshadow you thus. What is born will be called the Holy Son of God. Again, that's not the King James, but uh, a person's view. The um, virgin birth story is the perfect is in perfect harmony with the whole chain of natural and supernatural happenings and circumstances connected with the advent. It fits beautifully with the Annunciation, the Psalm of Elizabeth, the Hymn of Mary, the Song of Angels, the visit from the shepherds the appearance of the wise men from the east and the morning star they followed, the adoration of Simeon and Anna in the temple, Herod's attempts to kill the prophetic babe by general massacre of the children, the flight into Egypt, and so on. 
All this commotion notwithstanding, all that happened prior and after, uh, and after Pentecost is far more congruous with the virgin birth than with an ordinary birth. All right? Because, yes, sir. Right. 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 So, yeah. So where he's he's going is because is the um, and I think that that's might have been some established right because um, he's getting ready to go into the two different genealogies. So he's focusing on the New Testament. But yes, you're right. It was prophesied. In fact, you know, um, right, yeah, that he would be born of a woman, right, the seed of a woman, right, out of the seed of a woman. And, in fact, that's why when I taught in Genesis, one of the commentators said it, that uh, Eve, when Cain and Abel was born, that Eve might have even thought that one of them, if Cain was the elder of the two, uh, was what was promised to her, you know, as far as the seed of a woman. <laughs> Not realizing that it was the virgin birth, but just that it would be, because uh, that was to be the, her firstborn and the firstborn male child that she bore. But uh, we, we can see, because we, can, we have the hindsight uh, in that. So the argument drawn from the deity of Christ and the, tri- and the Trinity supports the truth of the virgin birth. We have seen that natures of two parent lives, of the two parent lives, which united by conception in the embryo, determine the nature or natures of that begotten by them. Amen. He's just like his daddy. He's just, she's just like her mama or whatever. Or they're a good mix, you know. They looks like their daddy but acts like their mama or vice versa or whatever. But... Um, but anyway, because, uh, because of that, then the nature of man, as we know from our children, continues on in, because of Adam and Eve and them being the first parents. Only that begotten by the divine can the human can be accounted generically divine and human. So by him having a human one human parent and the Holy Spirit, you know, the deity coming upon Mary and and all that happened in the virgin birth, then then the divine then Christ had the divine nature and he had the nature of man. And he was the God man. Hundred percent God and hundred percent man. We'll understand it better by and by. So I, I come across some things and yes we believe it and so on and so forth, but you don't quite fully understand it. I don't know if he'll ever give it, but the old songwriter says, we'll understand a lot of these things better by and by. Amen. Mary and Joseph had several children after the birth of Jesus. If the virgin birth were not true, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and their sisters were uh, uh, generically the same in personality as Jesus. But they wasn't. It is the combined human and divine parentage of our Lord which settles forever the status of his person. With a human father, he would be generically, I think it's supposed to be genetically, but anyway, but it's, they have generically in here, generically the same as all of us and leaving us with no more reason to hold to his personal deity than to the personal deity of us all. 
the Trinity is a doctrine which God chooses Christians to believe in, it rather than they that choose it. It is accept it, its acceptance is compelled by the superhuman powers work and person of Jesus Christ. So we conclude naturally that he and his birth correspond with each other and that the means of his entrance upon human life of necessity differed from ours by as much as he differs in person, work, place, and power from us. If Christ is not a supernatural person, then there is no second person of the Trinity in the Trinity, and if there is no second person in it, there is no Trinity. If the, cha- if the chain here is broken, the rest of its several links are of no value. All right, so you got that? <laughs> we serve one God manifesting himself in three persons, and it was even quoted, I think, by Brother Bryant, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, equal in all attributes and power. And if there's a breakdown there, then there's a breakdown again in it all. The argument from redemption supports the truth of the virgin birth. In order to a right view of the atoning work of Christ, we must have the right view of his birth. The less we see of Christ's deity in its supernatural birth, the less of it must we see in his atoning death. When we lose the historic Christ of the Gospels and his virgin birth, as therein recorded, not a ghost of the divine remains for our redemption. To this, the experience of millions who have been regenerated through faith in Christ testifies. The denials of the virgin birth are usually advanced by those who have not experienced regeneration by the Spirit of God who do not believe in it. That's interesting. (laughs) This is written long before Mr. Graham said what he said. All right. To be one's... To be oneself born of the Spirit of God puts one in position to accept the uh, supernatural fact of uh, supernatural of the Word of God, because He is in Himself and His own experience a witness to it. That's a good argument, because we have experienced a supernatural birth, and it's the Spirit of God that that came upon Mary. (laughs) Mary in her in the conception of Christ is the same Spirit that comes upon us in the new birth. Hmm. To have had a supernatural experience by which one becomes spiritually related to God prepares one for the rest of the divine revelation which is above and beyond the natural mind. And again, that goes back to the scripture of the spirit that's within us bearing witness with our spirit so the Spiritual, the divine, not that we're divine, but we have the divine in us, bearing witness with our human, and we're just as in Romans, and he, he mentioned the Romans, and, and we're getting ready to go into Romans 7 again with, under him, but he was mentioned in Romans 7 and 8 there as well, and that, that, that wrestling and that turmoil, so there is a spirit and there is the flesh. And the Spirit of Christ, of God bears witness with our human spirit, our natural spirit, that tells us these things are right. When the Spirit of God in the book of John leads us into all truth, that's why maybe we, especially a young, uh, a young convert, young Christian, 
you know, hasn't heard some of these doctrines before, you know, and they're just glad to be saved. And then you, you get in some of these heavier doctrines, you know, and they're like, you know, they get this puzzle. It's like, that's the craziest sounding stuff that I've ever heard in my life. But the Holy Spirit within them says, no, don't, don't argue with that too much. It's right. And they accept it as right because their, their, the Spirit bears witness with their spirit that the Word of God is right and what's taught out of the Word of God is right. And the doctrines of the Word of God is right. All right, so let's see here. We believe in the virgin birth because no objection yet raised against it is either sufficient, satisfactory, or conclusive. In fact, no positive or evidential objections have been or can be made. The burden of proof rests with those who deny a commonly accepted fact. Nineteen centuries, twenty centuries now, nineteen centuries of history affirm that it's, uh, it is true. All right, so there again, that was all the argument. Let me get back to that uh, beginning of that. So the humanity of Christ by his human parentage and then the little number one in parentheses was made of a woman. And there's where we got into there. Now the next one is made of the seed of David. All right, and then we're not going to get into the genealogy, but I will introduce this. And then it lists the Matthew genealogy, which I'll... And then the Luke's genealogy, and why, why then the Matthew genealogy... And then we're going to go through that probably next time. All right, so we'll get to that, but I'll, I'll introduce this. So we've heard made, uh, born of, what was the other one? Made of a woman and then made of the seed of David. Romans 1, and we have some scripture here now real quick. This is talking about his parentage in the outline his human parentage, which is under the humanity of Christ. Made of a woman, made of the seed of David. And, this is, and that's why the genealogies, because both genealogies, Matthew and Luke, goes back to David. And which is important in the scriptures as well. So Romans 1, 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, 22 and 23. Of this man's seed hath God according to his promise raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And then Luke 1. Thirty-one and through thirty-three. Luke one thirty-one. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, 
David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So this again pointing to the lineage of David, which prophetically the Messiah would come. Feeling that this is an important question and worthy of more of a more extended discussion than usually accorded, we incorporate herewith by permission the entire text of an article by Dr. Robert Keacham. Now, this the article that we're that he's incorporating into his book are those about the genealogies. The throne, and here's the article's title: "The Throne Rights of Jesus and Those Troublesome Genealogies." <laughs> So we'll get into that next time around, but um, and um, and look at those. But it goes back to the promised throne, uh, the secession of the throne of David, and um, and made of the seed of David. So he was made of a woman, which was the virgin birth, made of the seed of David, which goes to the genealogies, and we'll deal with that. So do pray for. Miss Pam, uh, when is she due back? She due back in.